You told them. Who? About what? my audition. And the producer. Right? Okay. I'll bet you all got off on it too, right? No. <laughs> Seeing me fail like that? Sarah, those are your friends. Hey, nobody wanted that for you. They're your friends! They're your friends! I'm trying to do something big! I'm trying to do something with my life! How am I supposed to do this? When you surround me with these... losers! Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents! Woo! And I'm one of your spooky hosts, Soft Hey Ryan. And I'm not spooky, but I'm very ugly, Bartek. He's very ugly, Bartek. Or, as we like to call him here, Baby Boy Bartek. So Yes, and we all know babies are beautiful. Yes. Well, sometimes they're hideous. So, especially in spooky month movies. Uh, so, we are spin Polish likingly because we are always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. And I want to ask Bartek, our expert of Polish culture, you're our, you're our attaché to Poland... Could you tell us, what is Halloween or this time of year like in in Poland? Do they do anything specific, any kind of religious things or celebrations or any type of thing that you're aware of? I don't know. No? I don't know. You don't know. Really? I, I seriously don't know. I don't think so. You should investigate that for next episode. See if there's any, any information. Ask your mum. I... I know that my mum's never liked the idea of Halloween because she thinks it's just an American thing, so probably not a Polish thing. I wonder what they, like, yeah, I'm curious, I'm curious. Come back to me next week and if with a solid answer, mister, you've got homework to do. So we are here to do our show Pictures Powwow, and this is a special Pictures Powwow, not just because it's our first entry into Spooky Month in which we cover more spooky, scary, horror, October-feeling movies, but it is also our 300th episode. Bartek, 300 in. I yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about. Like, uh, you know, I remember our two hundredth episode. And it really doesn't feel like that long ago, but yeah, it was like at least two years ago. Mm. It it's crazy, but also yeah, it doesn't feel too long ago, and that may also be in part due to the circumstances of the world that has happened, in which everything's kind of been put on pause in a lot of ways. Yeah, like the mystery box. Like the mystery box and just, you know, us physically recording in the same space. Obviously, we're in lockdown still and we would love to have been able to record our 300th episode in the same space and celebrate in person. But we will wait, of course. And as uh, Bartek hinted at in our last episode, we'll have our usual special guest that we usually have on for these big milestones. Uh, A good friend, Will, we'll have him on for an episode once we can all be in the same area safely. But uh, for the meantime, we have a movie that came recommended from you, Bartek. Bartek, you recommended a film. So let's hear what one you gave for our 300th and for our first entry into Spooky Month for 2021. What did you recommend? I recommended the 2014 film Starry Eyes. Mm. And for people out there who have not seen this movie and they're listening to us, 
make sure to check it out because we are going to spoil the film for you. We're going to talk about the details and we would both say this is one that you should definitely check out for yourself, especially if you do have an interest in this at all. For those who aren't familiar with it, Bartek, how would you just describe it to kind of pitch people to go check it out? Yeah, this is definitely one where even if we talk about it, you, you it, our discussion won't be a substitute for actually experiencing it. Mm. Um, yeah, this is basically a kind of horror film uh, about a, a, a little, a, I almost said little girl, a young lady who wants to become an actress in Hollywood, um, hasn't had a lot of luck, and she finally seems to have found her big break but it leads her down uh, a sort of dark path where the people who are giving her this break um, are clearly a lot more sinister than your usual Hollywood people. Um, And it leads into a lot of uh, minimally explained uh, supernatural horror, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Atmospheric, to say the least. Yeah, it's one of those films where not everything is fully spelled out for you, um, but when you finish watching it, you generally know everything that's happened. Interesting, interesting. So yes, check this out. It came out in 2014, which was a great year for movies. And so I want to launch there. 2014, big year. We had Nightcrawler, we had uh, Whiplash, we had Birdman, we had Guardians of the Galaxy, we had uh, uh, Calvary. Uh, Any I'm missing out on that you can remember? Um, was the guest one of the ones for the you? The guest, the guest is another one. Yeah, yeah. Big... Is that also Birdman? You Birdman? Yeah, yeah, Birdman. Yeah, isn't that cool? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You've taught. You've uh, you've really battled for 2014 a lot in the time I've known you. Yeah, and even you, right? Because you've talked about how that was a year in which you you went to the movies quite a bit and seemed to have an enjoyable time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, considering that was a year where I had a lot of, you know, physical pain going on, it was a really fun year. And we had our year- final year of university, so we were also, like, really, like, time pressure was on. Yeah, yeah, and I was going to say, too, that's kind of the year where we really became friends. Like, we knew each other from mm. a year or two before that, but that's where, yeah, we really became kind of thick. But yeah, 2014, this movie came out, and my history with this is, I have not seen this until now, but I remember hearing about this film near the tail end of that year. I remember hearing about it after I'd watched Nightcrawler. I had watched Nightcrawler, and for some reason this this kind of came up, not because I was watching something related to Nightcrawler, but just the, the timing of it. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. I'll look, look, after, look at this at some point. And I filed it away, and I just never checked it out. Because, you know, it was a big year. 2014 was a big year, and I was really excited. And as we said, we were going through a lot at that time. We were finishing university. We were putting on a play. We were wrapping up uh, that phase of our lives, getting to form new friendship circles, figuring out what our future is. So and also trying to catch movies, also trying to catch TV shows. It was a great time for TV as well. And this one was just one that slipped through my fingers. And then you brought it up for the pod. And I was really excited because over the years I had heard it referenced again, like Red Letter Media referenced it in a video or two. They didn't make a full video on it, but they just referenced it here and there. I was like, oh yeah, that movie. And I've okay. seen this actress in one or two other projects, the lead actress. And I was like, oh, oh, this actress is interesting. And I look her up. Oh, she's in Starry Eyes. That's a movie I wanted to check out. I'll file it away. I'll file it away. And then I never got to it until you recommended it. Uh, what is your history and relationship with this film? 
Yeah, well, despite being the one that recommended it, you have a much deeper history with it. Um, I first heard of this film probably two months ago. Um, I've started this year. I've started actually, you know, doing a fair bit of work. Um, and that involves me getting up in the morning and traveling all the way to where I do the work. And, uh, for my journeys to work, um, I've been listening to a very big backlog on an old podcast called Super Best Friend Cast, mm. which uh, was a podcast done by the people from the YouTube channel that isn't running anymore called Super Best Friends. Um, and in this podcast, it- it's basically just like, a, oh, this week in gaming news and pop culture news kind of thing. Mm. Um, and one of the hosts, Matt, who it's called right media- now- it's, it's Media Wars, basically. Yes, but but very good. Um and one of the hosts, Matt, who he's the guy on YouTube now, Matt McMuscles, who does like the what happened stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he often at the beginning of episodes, they usually do like, oh, so what did you guys do this week? And he often brings up like, oh, yeah, I watched uh, a movie, usually uh, like a horror film or something like that. And in one of these episodes, he talked about having just seen Starry Eyes. Obviously, this episode was from like tw- 2014. Mm. Um and I remember, I didn't remember too much of it over these past two months, like what he talked about, but I remember having that feeling at the time of, oh, that sounds like it would be good for like the horror month that we do, the spooky month that we do. So I should like file that name uh, away somewhere. Um, and then obviously October's come around and I've picked it. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't remember too much of what he said, but I do remember him uh, specifically talking about, like, the audition scenes earlier in this film. And I thought, like, oh, yeah, that'd be really interesting. Like, Ryan and I, we were interested in acting and yeah. uh, talking about movies and Hollywood, you know, both the idealistic and cynical side of it. So maybe this would be an interesting pick. And yeah. that's why I picked it. So I want to talk about our general impressions on it. But first, I want to preface, I want to leave off for just a moment the comparisons we will obviously make to other films and other films we've covered on the podcast, because I do want to talk about that, but I really want to talk about the, the, the merits of the film first on its own. On its own, It is hard because this film is definitely homaging and uh, drawing lots of influences from different places. I think that's fair to say, but I want to talk about it on its own merits first before we say, it reminded me of this, or this, you know, had a lot of similarities. Even the the trivia on IMDb and some of the information on IMDb makes these comparisons. So I want to just talk about it on its own. What were your feelings on this movie, Bartek? How did you go with this? Yeah, it was a very moody film in a lot of ways. Um, you know, our lead actress, she wants to be a star and she, uh, she surrounds herself with somewhat like-minded people who, who she just doesn't connect with. And I can't say that I fully connect with that, but definitely, you know, having done a drama degree and knowing other drama people, there were certain, you know, familiar, uh, familiar feelings that I got from, uh, those characters in this film. Like the people who are, you know, really, really deep into acting and wanting to move up in the world, that kind of thing. So I really think the film kind of nailed it there without making them like too exaggerated feels like yeah. there was only really one character who was really, you know, big on the cattiness. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely her reaction to that general group of people, um, I felt that was very believable. Yeah. I I had a blast with this. I had issues. I have issues. This isn't perfect, but <laughs> it's definitely one I'm going to add to my ever-growing catalogue of modern female-led 
horror films. I really loved the atmosphere, like you said. I have often complained about on the podcast movies with a desaturated color palette, and this it does have that, but it's beautiful um, because it's not brown or blue. It's got a nice how I would describe this movie's visual look is there's always this sense of there's a cloud in the sky. That's how I would describe it, or dusk. Like, it's always got this cloudy atmosphere and or, like, it's dusk. And I really thought that lended itself well to the atmosphere overall in the movie. And the de- like the deconstruction and removing the romanticism of Hollywood from the movie, like the physical location of it. Because when she's walking around this town or walking around her house or, 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 you know, at her workplace or the audition place, it wasn't like it was filthy or gross, but just kind of, you know, felt like real life. It felt like grounded, but just a little bit dour in its look. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah, I think I do. Yeah. Did you feel, how did you feel about, about that visual aspect of the film? Um, definitely in her living spaces or in the other characters' living spaces, it felt like, yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel dirty, but it felt like there was a lot going on in terms of mise-en-scene. Like, all of the walls were, like, covered in posters. Um, it, it very much gave me a feeling of, like, a, you know, share house kind of thing. Like, I know that sounds kind of weird for me who's never lived in one, but yeah, it, it felt like a space, you know, populated by a lot of people um and almost like if i were to visit this place i would really feel like oh man i'm in a completely different kind of world yeah i i appreciate one of the little touches we we don't notice in movies and we notice them when something like this happens is in movies inside locations like the the audition room or a hallway or her bedroom or the lounge room they're lit like a film, you know, they're bright, we see stuff. Here, there's a lot of washed out darkness that you just experience in real life. Like, I'm sitting here right now in my in my room recording, and I would describe the lighting in here as slightly dim. And that's just kind of like how life is. And in movies, they heighten that. They brighten stuff up, they, they push this, they push that. And I really appreciated that kind of little detail in the movie, where everything felt grounded in in something i know in the real world but because it's a movie it also adds this sinister nature to the visual presentation of the movie because we know in movie language and mise-en-scene darker lighting means spookier or sinister or dour or downer or something especially in a horror movie and so i I thought that little touch really worked because i wanted to say that because you know me, I really don't like my grey, washed-out, desaturated, lacking colour type of movies. But really, what I mean by that is I really, really hate those ones like Zack Snyder does, where there's no purpose to it, and it's just ugly to look at. This was a beautiful movie to look at. Like, visually, the cinematography was absolutely outstanding to me. Yeah, it definitely worked in this one. And the, you, earlier when you described it as cloudy, that like kind of nailed it for me because I was thinking like, oh, kind of like a dirty white. And yeah, cloudy really hits that. Yeah, and so I, I thought it really worked on that level. And then the big strength of the movie 
you know, we're talking about the visuals, we're talking about the mise-en-scene, the direction, but what you come to this movie for, and I think you realize it as soon as the movie starts, is for that lead performance. That's what keeps yeah, this, you in the movie. Yeah. yeah, for sure. This is definitely one where you follow the main character pretty much, I think, in every scene she's in. Yeah. It's always following her. Yeah, and have you seen this actress in much else? I don't think I have. She's teamed up with uh, Mike Flanagan, if I'm not mistaken, who did the Doctor Sleep movie, the sequel slash whatever to uh, The Shining. She played uh, the Shelley Duvall character from The Shining. She played her, because obviously that movie is like they recast actors to play those characters from The Shining. So she played... She played Shelley Duvall. Like, I call her that actress because she really nailed the Shelley Duvallisms. And you can see that here. Like, this actress has a very, like, wilting look to her. She's very skinny. She's got, like, this dark hair, these kind of buggy eyes. And you can definitely see her playing that role very easily. And I've seen her in, uh, I think it's Haunting of Bly Manor and a few Mike Flanagan projects. So she's definitely cornered herself into the this space of movies, of the, the eerie horror type affair. But this is the first one in which, to me, she's like a big central lead role that dominates the screen. Because like you said, she's we're following her for pretty much the entire movie. Every scene is pretty much from her perspective or she's a part of the scene. So... This actress really capture, has to capture our attention, and I think she, she did marvelously with the job. Uh, so you seem to enjoy her performance as well. What did you, what did you like about it? Uh, well, this is, you know, due to what the story of the film is, one where you have to, you, your lead actress has to go through two extremes. Like, there's the very sort of idealistic-ish one early on where things are kind of normal and things are looking up for her. And then she, well, she doesn't become the antagonist because we are following her. She's the protagonist, but she is basically kind of turning evil Mm -hmm. as the film goes on. Um, And there's this real sense of, you know, there are moments where she is, completely the victim and then there are moments where she is you know the the killer she's the one Mm. perpetrating the evil and that's a really really interesting thing to think about when you consider you know like all the scenes earlier on where you know she's in a job that she hates she's being humiliated she feels like she's being used made fun of uh people are you know being very backhanded with her um she she nails both extremes i think I agree. I think she nails it. And yeah, this is one of those stories in which it's the tragic downfall of a person, but then also tragic, but weirdly, up, not uplifting, but like weirdly awe-inspiring rebirth of the character, because that's what happens at the end. She, you know, she's reborn physically, like they give her a happy birthday card. Um, <laughs> yeah, for her actual birth. I thought that was very funny. But I agree, she nails both extremes, and she nails it in this way that I think the film as a whole does not, is she understands the tone that needs to be played, because she's playing this in an exaggerated fashion for both. It's very pronounced, it's very arch, but in a way that isn't um, breaking the movie. She's doing it in a way that is still 
in line with what we need the character to be, but it is a it is a cranked up energy that she's playing. This isn't a naturalistic performance, but it is a it is a captivating performance. And I think the film itself, with other actors and just script writing things and, and that, don't um, match up to where she is as a performer with that. I think the film has issues in which it doesn't understand the consistency and the tone that is needed like she does with her performance. Because she is funny in the movie, but in very sad and very scary as well. Uh, what do you think about that statement? Um, I, I think I see where you're going with this, yeah. Like, you know, in these type of movies, because this is obviously calling back to a whole plethora of movies, they she's 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 very heightened, wouldn't you agree? Yes, yeah. Well, definitely since this film uh, deals with certain, you know, fundamentally fictional supernatural stuff, definitely there is going to be a, a sense of uh, unnatural uh, acting choices going on. Yeah, yeah, a very manic energy there. And when you sit down to a movie like this, you didn't know anything about this movie. You really didn't know much. And she comes in and she 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 delivers this high energy. How do you like when you're watching it? Did you accept that when it was presented? And if so, how come? Sorry, when I did I accept what? her high energy performance because you're sitting down and you don't know anything about this movie really and you sit down and there's this you know non-naturalistic performance that she's presenting straight up how did you accept that straight away or did you have to warm up to to this kind of tonal performance Uh, or did you accept it straight away and if so why i think i accepted it because the 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 events that happen in the film kind of demanded it. Yeah. Um, yeah, because she, it's not entirely clear what is happening. Well, to an extent, it's not entirely clear what is happening to her. For most of this film, up until I would say, you know, the second meeting with the producer, everything is, you know, as weird as it is, kind of normal. And then after that scene, things start to get a little bit more vague and mysterious. And that's really where, um, you know, the, the big mystery of, oh, so what is going on? It felt like we knew what was going on was happening, but now it's not entirely clear. Um, and yeah, the the way that she has to act in that part of the film um, definitely does demand a bit more, you know, extremist stuff. You know, she she doesn't know what's going on. Um, she's definitely freaking out. Physically um, changing. Yeah, yeah. That's really where the, I, I guess, the horror of the film begins. Obviously, you know, it's creepy up until that point, but that's really where, yeah, the, mm. the supernatural stuff is front and center. Yeah, I, I'm always curious when, you know, when people walk into movies like this blind, like I only minimally knew the story, um, but when people walk into movies like this blind and they see these type of performances straight off the bat, how people accept that or if they reject that. Because there's this thing, right? When you watch a, a performance like this and you don't know anything and you're sitting down and, you're, and your baseline level is when you watch a movie, you have a certain set of standards that you think a movie's going to be. And then the movie challenges you on those. And so when I sat down and watched this and I saw her performance, I was like, if I did not already walk in accepting that this is the type of movie it was going to be, 
I wonder if I would have taken a while to warm up to that because her and the audition people and a few others, they're very specific types of energy that isn't the usual and isn't the usual for this era of horror films either. This is a film by design that's calling back to the past of horror while still maintaining its own identity in a, in a manner. And so I'm always curious because I walked in and I saw it and I just went, okay, I know what type of movie I'm getting now. That's also a thing. Did you have that as well? Like when you watch movies, do you get that when you see a type of performance and it tells you what type of movie you are in for? And did that happen with this at the beginning? Um, At the beginning, yes, it did happen for me. And it was kind of after that second meeting with the producer where like, you know, she's kind of breaking apart um you know she she physically just looks horrible um during that part of the film i think i kind of got a bit lost like i was wondering like oh this isn't what i was expecting so where where is this kind of going because the setup just seems to be that um you know she's she is selling her soul to to become a a hollywood elite mm. um i'll say this I, I watched this film on the streaming service stan an australian streaming service and the description for it on there which i did read told me a little bit more than i wanted to know it was like uh, a, a struggling actress gets her break and discovers the dark origins of the hollywood elite <laughs> And watching the film, I was like, oh, okay, so there's going to be some sort of, like, explanation for how Hollywood people became what they are. Um, so, in a way, I was kind of waiting for that to happen. Right. Um, but I, yeah, so that that kind of, you know, put me in a mind state that I kind of wish I was a bit more blind on. Um, but when that section of the film happened, like, after she'd already met with the producer and, like, agreed with things... I was wondering, like, okay, so what? what is all this, like, body horror stuff happening? Like, I thought this film was going to be a bit more of a, you know, she's going to start working on the film and then horror stuff's going to happen around that. So I was kind of wondering, like, why, why are we dealing with all this, like, body horror stuff? And it was, you know, there, there were points throughout this section of the film where I thought I knew where it was going and then I was wrong. Um, and then really... Uh, you know, at the end, it all makes sense. But uh, uh, in terms of my journey, yeah, I was a bit lost there, like wondering where this is going. Interesting. I had the opposite. They told me too much early on, and the movie was predictable to me, but enjoyable for its execution. I had two things that made me, and this, you know, one of them I will make a given that this is a specific type of thing that I understand and you probably don't. The first was Mm -hmm. the font that they used was very the omen type font. Uh, The very like devil satanic panic era horror film font choice as well as the devilish red. And I went, okay, we're going to have a devil movie. And then the second thing was the necklace that was shown of the woman at the audition when she did her first one of her first early auditions and she saw the little pentagram necklace and I went oh okay yeah, the star. and I went oh okay this is going to be she's going to sell her soul to satanism and there's going to be tragic consequences so for me I wasn't lost at any point on what the movie was doing or why it was doing it if anything my biggest criticism is it told me too much 
I felt like I was ahead of the movie far too much, but I didn't mind that as well because the execution was done in a very striking and fun way, like fun in terms of like entertainment. Like I wasn't cheering when she was ripping her hair out or throwing up maggots, but like I was enthralled by that stuff and the body horror like when she ripped her fingernail off i i said oh she's going to do a moment from the fly like the jeff goldblum the fly where he ripped his fingernails off too um except for then he squeezed them and then pus shot out of them like the fly was more hardcore but i felt like oh i got this movie and i got the story of it rather quickly but you seem like like you said you 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 weren't sure you 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 went in blind but also with a piece of information from stan the streaming service that led you to believe one thing and like you said like you kind of wish you went in a bit blinder do you think this is a film that you will appreciate more for those type of things on a rewatch i think so yeah and generally i did understand like you know what kind of things were going to be there because I mean, again, when I saw the film, it was like, oh, rated R for high-level violence. I'm like, okay, well, there's going to be violence in this film. Um, Boy, but yeah, there. I was just, oh yeah, there was. And it really took a while to get there, but it was very high level. Um, yeah, the, the, the really the big point was that I was just expecting them to be working on the film while a lot of this was happening. So when it was, you know, not happening, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is different. You believe there was a film? I did, well, yeah, because they talked about how this company, you know, made a lot of films. Well, they used to. Now they're not so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like obviously the the reward for selling your soul to the devil is you know this high prestige, and that would come with yes, you know, getting a lot of work. So I thought like, oh, well, work's going to happen. Yeah, and then at the end of the movie, you could still think that, or they tricked this woman to sell her soul and become one of them. Obviously, I think there's going to be a film or she will get work in the future. But, like, that's one of those things. Like, it was a trap. <laughs> it was Rosemary's Baby situation. It was manipulation. But I, um... Did you like this movie? I did. I liked the movie. What did you like about it? Because I do sense some hesitance there in terms of things were a little too vague here and there. You weren't too sure where things are going. You leaned on the uh, wordless storytelling a little bit sometimes more and i know those things can get to you but why do you like this um yeah yeah definitely i was i was expecting a little bit more uh of that going on with uh um you know w- working on the film things like that um but yeah like like we said the lead performance was really captivating um things everything did pay off in the end everything that was promised you know happened like she she got through that rebirth thing that the, the producer was talking about. He had that whole big speech, and it all, you know, manifested in the end. Um, there was a payoff to her, the tension between her and her friends. Um, the thinking about like what she looked like during that section of the film, where her body was, you know, being really messed up. It just like looked really, really horrifying. Like. I, I I won't say that I was scared by this film, but like looking at what she looked like, I was just thinking like, oh man, if I was in that situation, what would I do? It was yeah, really ugly to look at. Did it gross you out or unsettle you? And any specific moments of that, if there were any? 
Um, well, look, I'll put it this way. The only thing that we've ever watched for this podcast that made me throw up was, um, uh, d- d- Double the Fist. Wait, was that the name? Yeah, Double the Fist. Double the Fist. The yeah, show. when I drank the, yeah, when they drank the bin water. So I, I didn't have a bin water situation, but yeah, it was just, yeah, very ugly to look at and me wishing like, oh God, ne- never let that happen to me. But she threw up real maggots out of her mouth. She did. Yeah, that was it. Was it was definitely gross, but it wasn't bin water. Wait, wait, but Bartek, would you say maggots are less gross to put in your mouth than bin water? Probably not, but something about the bin water just really something, got to me. Like it's, but but, I, <laughs> but Bartek, garbage is garbage, as the guy said in slow motion. <laughs> okay, so. I did enjoy this movie, and I'm really keen on rewatching it. I think I'm going to benefit a rewatch of this. I think it'll grow on me. I did really like it. I loved the ending. I thought the violence was really good. It was satisfying mm. to have that moment of tension snap, and it just became gruesome, bloody violence. Some of it was weirdly specific, like when she bashed that person's, like that girl's head in. Uh, with the with the dumbbell or whatever, with the you know that kind of thing, and mm-hmm. it just exploded, and it was all rubbery and practical. I enjoy the f- film for having practical effects for the most part, having real blood, like real squibs and blood packs and practical rubber heads, and and you know all of that stuff was really welcomed. Uh, I really love that central performance. I love the cinematography. The music was really good too. I thought it matched the tone. But I was curious to ask you, I did not watch this on a streaming service. I got this somewhere else. A big technical criticism I have that was informed by my watching, and this may be my sound system, maybe the copy I had. Did you have a trouble with being able to hear things because of the mixing of the sound, specifically audio being uh, like music being a little bit louder than dialogue because i had that a few times and usually you're the one that has more problems with that than i do um i don't know if the subtitles would have you know canceled that out for me but i didn't notice anything like that so you watch this with subtitles yeah but i think i heard all the dialogue just fine okay i had some trouble with hearing it sometimes over music again could be my sound system could be the copy i got uh, I also had a trouble with when at the end, when all of them are, you know, hailing, I couldn't understand who, I couldn't hear who they were hailing to. Like, again, the audio was a little bit too oh. upfront for me. Right, yeah. So, who was it? Was it just Satan? It was um the uh, the name of the company, the A word, that, it was the god of the stars. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, that's what I thought, but I just had a little bit... Audio-wise, just problems on, and that could just be on my end, or could be it, as a film. And you listen to it, you watch it with subtitles, so you had that ease there. I did not. I like to just watch films without subtitles if I can. I, I, I could. I remember because they said that line a lot. I heard it pretty clearly, so mm. I think maybe it was your copy. But yeah, overall, uh, I really love uh, <laughs> this uh, this kind of commentary they're making about you know, the American dream and the Hollywood aesthetic and like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Hollywood and make myself a star and this is a movie before the Me Too movement became what it is. 
Mm-hmm. And boy, did this movie age extremely well in that regard. Yeah, and considering that they mentioned Tumblr at one point, that's a good thing to say. Yeah. How did you feel about its commentary on the Hollywood machine and how kind of despicable it is? Um, I, I feel like that idea was obviously still strong at that point. Like, they always have the idea of, like, the casting couch, um, the actress that, you know, gets her work by, you know, submitting to a sleazy producer. Um, I... I couldn't quite remember when the Me Too thing started, but I did remember that it was a little bit after this film, so definitely it has that sort of timeless quality to it, where it's addressing something that's very soon going to be big in pop culture, or widely known, rather. Just in culture. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, yeah, like I said, it was already kind of a known or understandable idea at the time, but yeah, definitely it's super relevant now. Yeah, I was really happy with how the movie approached it. I like that it's not just she's an innocent victim of the thing. She she is indoctrinated with this dream and she is willing to do this. It's wrong and she shouldn't have to do this, but she is, you know, she has this mindset in which to succeed, to get the gateway, I should do this. And that's an interesting thing to explore rather than, you know, she was the prey and he was the predator. There is more of a nuanced dynamic to it. It's a fucked up one. It's a really sad one, but it's there. And I really appreciated that, um, you know, part of the commentary is she believes in this Hollywood institution system to the point in which she you know, becomes the enemy. She, not just because because she sold her soul, but she was antisocial after a certain point. She thought too highly of herself. She she looked down on others doing basically the thing that she wants to do, which is create art. But she doesn't actually want to create art. She wants to be a star. And that's the difference. Like, this, this, this incentivization that the, 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 the Hollywood system makes of you don't want to be an actor. You want to be a star. You want to be the center of attention. And her friends or those people that consider themselves to be friends, they were just people who wanted to have fun and create stuff and just do their way of doing things. They didn't need to abide by the status quo, but she wanted to abide by it. And then, of course, the film takes on a satanic slant to that just because, you know, it's a, it's a genre piece. And, you know, they use that to help better, uh, you know, delve into the real world context of these things. Because we all know about the casting casters. Like, before Me Too happened, we all know that this was a thing in the system. And it's like, well, those things that you just joke about or accept or look at and have a disgust for. But it is a part of the industry or or a lot of these industries. Like, you've talked about on the podcast before being a Bollywood fan, how there's lots of really fucked up and weird shit that Bollywood and and, and all of those uh, Indian film uh, industries do to their actors as well. Yeah, yeah, a lot of cultural things like that. Yeah, and you could argue this is a cultural thing of the Hollywood landscape, of the LA landscape. And so uh, I enjoyed that. Did you have a particular favorite moment or, or, or scene? Um, the the producer who mainly appears in he appears in like three scenes, but his first two scenes where he's like talking to the main actress one on one. Um, 
he in his two scenes he very much is monologuing for most of them like obviously there's responses happening but it's mostly him basically giving out his world view um and a lot of it i thought was very well constructed because it related to a lot of things that happened in the film uh quite a lot so he a huge thing that he talks about is um you know the, the idea of doers and people who don't do that kind of thing mm. and you know, the, that message kind of gets to our main character, um, and you start to see, like, oh, okay, it's kind of applying to her friends who, even though they're passionate and they, they want to start projects, it seems like they mostly just kind of sit around and talk about the projects mm. a lot, not actually getting them started. And it really gives, and in a lot of the scenes that they're in, we're focusing on our main character just looking at them, mm. not saying a thing, but, you know, with the idea of what the producer was saying in mind, you're getting the sense of like, oh, okay, she's seeing that they're not doers. And so when she, you know, even after the scene with the guy outside his van where he's like, oh, you know, work with me, we'll have fun, it'll be good. And then, you know, like two minutes later, she's calling the producer back to say like, hey, give me another chance, mm-hmm. I'll do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um it seems like an extreme, you know, turnaround, but when you think about it in that sense, like what she's thinking about, um, it it does work. It it fits. Yeah, I agree with you. I, yeah, I my favorite scenes. See, I, we are very different when it comes to these type of movies. You really love the more concrete and structural things. Like, you like the scenes that are, like, dispensing the information concretely for, like, here's the themes and understanding. And I like the things that are way more interpretation and vague. And, like, I like the audition sequence, for instance, with the flashing light and the cutting and all of that. And, like, how that visually kind of showed, like, a transformation in some way or hypnotizing or that type of thing. I really enjoyed the scene as well for a dialogue scene. You could cut this from the movie, but I really enjoyed the scene with her boss at the Tater Tots place and Mm -hmm. how he basically made her beg for her job and demeaned her to get her job back and, like, you know, made her say the things and basically did his own version of the casting couch but without it having an explicitly sexual edge to it but it definitely a sexual dynamic was at play there and that's introduced early in the movie because he pervs on her and i liked his whole monologue about like you know you should respect me because you think that this is corny you think this is lame but this is me this is me Mm, i like that monologue too i really love that stuff and yeah i am a, a bigger fan of the vague nature or you know vague nature of this movie as you would say i would say you know more up for interpretation but i think that is the the difference between us when it comes to these is like i felt like the movie over explained itself like you this is where the comparisons now start to happen you brought up the the producer scenes those are my least favorite scenes and it reminded me of when i first watched the neon demon and my least favorite scene was your favorite scene in which that fashion guy sat down and just said the thesis of the movie mm-hmm. and then when i rewatched it i didn't have a big problem with that scene anymore and i wonder if i will have the same journey when i revisit this movie and i think the answer is no simply for one reason and i want to get your thoughts on this I thought the 
Hollywood producer side of the story, the actors that played those characters, like the audition people and that producer, did not like their performances at all. You didn't like them? No. No. I did not care for those performances. How did you feel about them? Um, I I, th- I was fine with them. I thought... Obviously, they're, they're very kind of on the nose, like, oh, these people are talking a little bit, like, well, not wooden, but, like, coldly, emotionlessly. These people are, you know, obviously not uh, normal. Um, they're mm. obviously going to lead into, you know, the darker parts of the film. Um, yeah. But I, I was, I was fine with them. I, I kind of liked their, their blunt dialogue, the, the, the way that they made the our lead character feel unnerved. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that yeah, they 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 served their purpose well. I for me, they went too of a too high energy. See, I feel like there needs to be, and I have problems with her friends as well. I think consistency in direction in terms of performances was lacking in this because there's a difference between these high-energy characters in this movie that does high have high energy in comparison to how David Lynch would have these type of characters in his movies too. And I did not care for... Like, straight away, when that audition, the first audition happened, you had that guy there, and he spoke like this. Hello there. That's all we need. I, I did not like that. I found it too distracting because unlike in a david lynch film and unlike in the neon demon the visuals and the music and that aren't as heightened as those performances they're as heightened as her performance and she's nowhere near that level and so the film makes those actors stand out to me as being too much of a homage or reference or wink nudge to these older films that have these wooden, silly, over-the-top performances. Okay, I'll slip this idea into your head, and I want you to think about this. The producer character that you liked, how would you have felt if Ray Wise, who was Leland from Twin Peaks, Mm -hmm. played that role? Could you imagine him doing this role? Because I could not stop thinking about Ray Wise being the producer, and I thought he would have nailed the tone and the energy Perfectly. This guy, he was too much for me. I, I yeah, I could, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Now that now that now that I'm thinking of the performance, like the 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 smile that that producer had, kind of felt a little bit stiff. Which, uh, but when I was mm. watching the film, that I felt like that would work. But if I'm thinking of Ray Wise in the performance, yeah, I could probably see a little bit more malleability to his expressions. Because Ray Wise as Leland, for instance, his whole fucking character in the show was singing and dancing and being crazy and over the top. But he has always, in his performances, Ray Wise, this level of, of knowing when to pull back and ground it just enough. And I feel like this guy, he did too much face acting. And I was like noticing it. And that, that's me. I, I had a problem with her friends as or friends as well. I found them a little bit inconsistent, uh, not acting-wise, but just script-wise. I didn't really n- believe those people either. Um, and so 
like sometimes I believed her housemate, and then other times her housemate would say and do things that felt like it was only there for the sake of the drama, rather than what that character that we've been presented with would actually be like. Yeah, with her, I agree. I, I feel like she wouldn't have, you know, told the things to the other people that, you know, upset the main character. I felt like that was going to be too far for her. Yeah, or that moment at the skate park in which, obviously, you know, our main character is fucking, you know, deranged. Like, look at her. She's clearly not in her right mind, and she pushes the housemate, and the housemate starts going off at her. Mm. And I was like, this is bullshit. That's fucking... I did not believe that from that character. Yeah, the it film was... tried with her to have it both ways. It tried to make her the one who's the most empathetic, grounded, relatable character to our main one, and then one who's the most distant. And I get that you can try to do that, but I didn't think it succeeded. Yeah, I, that, that moment also stuck out to me, mostly because a different character then kind of took on the role that was expected of that character. Like one yeah, of Danny did it. Yeah, one of the guys was uh, saying like look, she's clearly sick. Like let's let's give her some space. Like if that feels like more of what she would have done. It feels like what both of them would have done like because that's the guy that lives in the van who is like also the most nice to her. Yeah. And I did yeah, it was one of those things where they did that a few many too many times and I think you mentioned it. But do you want to touch upon the the one of her friends that you you kinda of hinted at early on that was a, a little bit too caricature for you or stood out as being a bit more caricature? Yeah, the, there was one friend who she was the main one that like would always give like the the backhanded lines with a smile of like, oh, aren't you a little mm. too dressed? Or, oh, aren't you upset that I stole your part? Hey, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You know, those kind of lines. Um, yeah, she, she was a thing. She She felt like a script construction. She didn't feel real. She felt like hammering in the theme of disingenuous. Yeah. And it, to hammer in the theme that this woman, our main character, her friends aren't actually her friends. Yeah, but and really, it mostly just felt like it was happening with her because, like, every time she said something that fit into that archetype, it was like, yep, there's the archetype at play. Oh, what's she going to say this time? Oh, okay, yep. Yeah. Uh, overall, I really enjoy this, but my, yeah, like I said, my criticisms are there are some teething issues. Like I said, I think some of the performances needed to be more consistent from the direction standpoint. I think uh, the scripting needed to be... It's consistency issues in some ways. I'm not saying that this film is inconsistent. doesn't make sense. It's just, I was watching it and I was imagining some of these screws are loose and I wanted to grab the screwdriver and just tighten them a little. Mm -hmm. Just a little. Just little adjustments here and there I wanted to make with with that the music too although i enjoyed it there were many sequences in which i wish that it wasn't there i kind of wish that they utilized not using the music more often how do you feel about that um i'm not sure i have an opinion on that i i it felt all fine to me mm mm yeah, to me, it sometimes it invaded some scenes just a tad, and I was wondering how much more suspenseful or emotional would it be if you stripped back the music here. But those are my biggest issues with the movie. I think, you know, like I said, the Satanism aspect was a little bit too on the nose for me. Like, I personally would have been fine if he didn't have it branded on his hand. I would have been fine if we didn't see 
the necklace. I would have been fine if the company's logo was that and the hooded figures were there and you saw the ending and then you kind of got it. Yeah, make it I a think, bit more subtle. Yeah, subtlety because to me when he's when he when he grabbed her head and it had the mark on his hand, I laughed. <laughs> you know, I didn't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. I it, it released the tension of the horrific scene that was happening, and I just went, "Oh, here we go, a real 1970s cheesy moment here." And I think the film does suffer from loving certain eras of horror a little too much. Just reel back a little, but here, this is a movie that I would perfectly describe as a good seven out of ten on first watching. Could move up to an eight easily. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, most of the, like the instances of the star thing were fine for me, but I guess it was just me being, you know, accepting of that kind of convention that you like said of older Hollywood kind of, you know, giving us all of the signs there. Um, but yeah, definitely if there was a version of this film where it was more subtle and like that was something you could think back on or notice more on a second watching, yeah, that would have been really cool. What was were there any issues that you you had that we haven't touched upon or you want to touch upon further from your perspective? Um well like I said when I was when I was lost during that portion of the film where I thought like you know it was different from what I was expecting it was very much a thing of like when the film ended or where I saw it was going I was fine with it so uh yeah I think it was really just my expectations that kind of threw me off at that mm. point. Otherwise, I think the film was, yeah, pretty good, pretty well made. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but I think this film is uh, was made through Kickstarter. It was a crowd- yes. crowdfunded film. That made sense after, because there was this one moment, and I'm sure you recognize this moment as being weird too, where her friends were sitting down watching a TV, mm-hmm. and they're like, this guy's awesome! And then it cuts to like, this really weird-ass <laughs> footage of a guy doing, I couldn't tell you what he was doing. And, yes, that's right, yeah. And I was like, what's this? And then it's like, this guy was a Kickstarter patron who helped them the most or whatever, and they put him in the movie, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, th- I think I think that was meant to be like a a recording of an audition where the guy just like went off. And, yeah, and I guess that tell. Yeah, and I guess that was just like, oh, this is the cringe video that we enjoy watching. You know what doesn't make it work? And I know that we do this in real life. Like, I watch YouTube videos on my TV primarily. One of the things that didn't make that scene work is, and maybe this is just me being old-fashioned, but when you show footage with no context of somebody watching something on TV like that, I'm naturally thinking they're watching a television show or a movie, not a right. video. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can see how some people would take that for granted. Yeah. With the language, like, yeah, we we we're ingrained. Did you recognize that as the case as it was, or did you only think about like it being a video when you learned about the information? No, I actually i rec- I recognize what it was. I I thought it was like oh they they're crowding around to watch like videos that they're playing on the TV. But yeah, definitely, I can see where you're coming from. Where the the language of you're looking at a TV means they're watching a TV show or a movie. Yeah. And that's on me. Like, things are changing. But usually I'm used to them using their phones or a computer to do that information. You know, something to indicate that it's on a web browser of some sort. Mm. You know, like, or, or I, I guess streaming thing. 
I guess for me, the idea of like, oh, they're, they're gathering around to watch something and it's, you know, like this weird thing that's clearly not a movie or a TV show. Like, I, it was just, it was just in my head of like, oh yeah, this is a group that likes to gather around and watch specific types of things and, you know, they would find it on the internet. Mm. What did you think of the actual ending and what happened to our character? How did it make you feel? And what do you actually think about it? What do you think the commentary is? Um, I, uh, yeah, yeah, the scene where she's in bed and, like, she's bald and she's got those green eyes. Um, mm-hmm. She bites the tongue off or, or, like, vomits up or whatever the fuck she's doing to her friend. Yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, her, the way she looked in that scene, like, obviously it wasn't, you know, natural given how familiar we are with her, but there was this really... I, th- I think they really nailed the look of her. I, th- there was this weird mix of, you know, this isn't right, but also this sort of kind of beauty in a way. Like, yeah. she, I, I guess a big part of it is she's she doesn't look like she's, you know, breaking, like physically melting or whatever was going on throughout the rest of the film. It's like we're finally seeing her in this, like, clean look. She's got these striking eyes and she's smiling and confident and... You know, she's kind of manipulating uh, her friend in this scene, like just or just like mm. taking charge of the conversation. Um, yeah, there was this really interesting sense of power coming from her that we were not used to, given how you know we've just spent you know felt like forty five minutes of her suffering. Um, yeah, the the execution of her look and her acting in that scene, I was very much on board with. Mm, yeah, and so you were on on board with it. You you recognize it as the tragic falling down and rebirth of what it is. And but when you make a movie like this, right, or a story like this, that's a choice to be made. Of like, okay, we're going to end it here, where she's now fully succumbed to the thing. Why is that a ch- like? What do you think is the commentary there, and why why that? Um, the commentary, I suppose with the idea of the rebirth, it is her fitting into, like, starting to fit into the mould of what it means to be, like, the biggest, uh, well, to use the Stan Descriptions thing, uh, the Hollywood elite, um, where that you f- it feels like you're very much falling into a uh very much known common idea of what it means to be the hollywood elite like you you have to look a certain way you have to be a certain way but the reality behind it is that you know you've gone through so much horrible stuff and you might not be you know the greatest person and like this is reflected in her you know no long no longer having natural hair like she wears a mm. wig now which you know w- wig isn't your real hair it's unnatural which isn't to say you know it's Fake. it's bad it's bad but there, there is like a an artificialness to it when you and then that's contrasting the fact that throughout the rest of the film she had a normal hair that she would rip out yeah yeah i i love the tragic ending to it but also you, you nailed it. Like, it is this... She sold her soul. She sold her identity. The old her is gone, and this new, hollow, husked-out version is here. This monster is here. This this stripped-away individual who 
on the outside now is, is beautiful and serene and calm, but what of the actual person? What of the actual personality? What of the actual soul in this case? Because, you know, this is a movie about, you know, the satanic stuff. So, and you know, again, coming back to the Hollywood thing of, like, how much of yourself do you have to rip away and sacrifice and, and, and remove to become the dream? And we've seen many movies explore that, and I thought it was really well done. I like the sound effect that they use at the end of, like, uh, I read it was, like, handcuffs, like, locking in to mm. really emphasize that she's locked into this now, and she's just going to be this. And, yeah, it's scary, and I thought the ending was really beautiful, and, like, the music and, the, you know, the visuals, and like you said, she's she looks nice, but also unnatural, and scary, and, like, that helps with the eyes, but just the way she, like, her demeanor as well, and just, in the boldness, and, and the wig, and, yeah, it's just really interesting. I always find it fascinating. There's this been a huge wave, and this isn't new necessarily, but there's been a huge wave of movies, you know, feminine-led movies of a horror variety in which a female character who's the lead goes through all these tremendous events and kind of has this bad, twisted, melancholic, dour ending like this. And yet there's this sense from when you watch it and from the film communities who talk about it and feminist communities that talk about it of this weird uplifting empowerment, even though realistically this isn't an empowering story. This is a woman who sold her soul to the devil and now she's stripped of everything. And same with movies like The the Vavitch or Midsommar, or, you know, several others I could keep listing here. But there's this weird cultural fascination at the moment in which people watch these movies and get this real sense of, like, feminist empowerment, and, or just empowerment, or, like, yes. And I'm curious of, like, what that comes from when textually in the movies... These aren't empowering things. These are really damning things. What do you mm. think that is? And have you noticed that at all? Um, Maybe to some extent, yeah. Uh, definitely one of the things that comes to mind is... Uh, I can't remember which one specific... It was, I think I've even mentioned this a few weeks ago on the podcast. There was the Lindsay Ellis video um, where she talked about, you know, why Mel Brooks making fun of the Nazis is good, whereas other people don't do it well. And she brings up the idea that um, there are a lot of films that make fun of Nazis, but they do it in a way that appeals to the Nazis. Like, I think the main one she mentioned was like, I think it was Malcolm X, where neo-Nazis were, you know, depicted as evil in that film, but they were depicted as kind of cool evil, and that appealed to people. American so they, History X. Yeah. yeah, American History X, that's the one. Um, so maybe there is just this sense of like, oh, well, she, she gains power in this situation. She, she personally feels good at the end, as far as we can mm. tell. So maybe, you know, the fact that, you know, we've connected to this character and now this character is objectively feeling good, um, kind of gives mm. you this neural connection in your head that like, this is a good thing that's happening. Maybe. Even though it's not. Even though it's not, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a part. I think another part of it is with a lot of these stories, you know, it's about the, the, uh, these, you know, female led ones. Let's go for that, like we're talking about. Is there's this 
understanding of the the abuse and trauma and grief and misery that women have to go through a lot and although the films a lot of them end in a you know very concretely tragic bitter way our female characters embrace it they 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 take ownership of it and i think that is where this attitude does come from there's still an understanding that the ending to our main character here is really bad and the system created this for her and she believed that these were the options bestowed upon her and she's indoctrinated to believe this stuff and so on and so forth and she threw all these opportunities away to be a better person but there's this weird sense of you know seeing this character or the one from the vavich or midsoma or or you know so on and so forth embrace these with this sickening smile or vacant gaze is in a way the film's acknowledging how people you know women in these regards have to do this a lot in their lives not to these genre extremes but you know they have to accept horrors on a daily basis with this kind of attitude and i think that's a part of it it's just the recognizing it in the filmic way that one can and so that's what I walk away with. And I want to discuss the Neon Demon. Yeah. You did not like the Neon Demon. And I could not help but when I watched this, think of the Neon Demon the entire time. And that's not fair because this movie came out first. Yeah. But when I looked up connections and I was looking up like what movies came up in terms of like whatever, it does directly state like connections. The Neon Demon, both films are about this subject and presented in similar ways. You did not like The Neon Demon all that much, but you liked this. Did The Neon Demon circle around when you were watching this at all? And, like, how did that all jive for you? The two films that were stuck in my head the whole time I was watching this were The Neon Demon and another film we've already mentioned on this episode, The Rosemary's Baby. So yeah, yeah. Th- those two films were definitely on the forefront of my mind while watching this, and this essentially is like a the acting version of Neon Demon, whereas Neon Demon is more about like modeling, right? Yeah, yeah, modeling. Yeah. You mm-hmm. could also say Maholland Drive is also a part of this as well. You get that Maholland Drive energy uh, in minor parts, not as Lynchian, but I mean, the audition scene apparently was inspired by a real life audition somebody had for a David Lynch movie. With like the flashing lights and the spotlights. Oh yeah, maybe a little bit more Holland Drive, yeah. But uh, definitely the two films I mentioned before were the main ones I was thinking of. So, do you think if you had seen this movie and not the Neon Demon, you would still have the reaction you have now? Or do you think seeing movies like the Neon Demon, like Maholland Drive and so on and so forth, has cleansed the palate for you to accept this easier? Accept this movie easier? Yes, to accept this movie. Like, do you think if you saw this movie without having seen The Neon Demon, you would have liked it as much as you actually do? Because one of the things you talked about with The Neon Demon was how kind of unfamiliar it was to you in its style, execution, and general kind of storytelling. While this, like we said, it's very similar to The Neon Demon, or we should say The Neon Demon is very similar to this. Mm -hmm. I think I would have taken this film the same way as I'm taking it now. Yeah, yeah, I think I would. Yeah, this with Neon Demon, um, 
that that one very much had its own specific kind of style going on. I think mainly the style was the thing that I wasn't really gelling with rather than like the content. Right, right. So, and we've said this, you think if you visited the Neon Demon again, you would have a more positive experience with it. Do you I think- definitely think I would like it more at least, yeah. Do you think that would has changed even more so having seen a movie like this as well? Because let's not pretend they have different. They do have different styles, but they have very similar esque styles too. Like they will often take the visual approach to telling the story. They will often let the iconography of the Satanism or whatever it is inform the audience of what's happening. They have overbearing music. It's a the same uh, you know type of story. Both of our female centric led heroes become hollowed out villainous people. You have corrupting figures around them. I'm just curious, like. Do you think as well, revisiting the Neon Demon in the future, this movie's existence will impact how you feel about that one? It's entirely possible, yeah, for sure. Mm, I just wanted to mention that because, yeah, I couldn't help but stop thinking about the Neon Demon when watching this, and I just <laughs> was curious if if you had that sense as well. Yeah, but only in the sense of like it was reminding me of it. I wasn't really judging it with any sort of lens that involved no. the Neon Demon. No, that's fair. That's fair. I tried not to do that as well. Uh, anything else you want to say about this movie? Um, I think we got everything out there. I think I was thinking of something, but it's already been said. So yeah, I think I think we got it, man. You, you don't you don't want to quote Marilyn Manson's review of this? Oh, Did he says something. About, he said something about tits, right? Yeah, he he thanked them for putting tits in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Can't tell if that's backhanded or a joke. <laughs> or he's just a creep. <laughs> I think he's just a creep, I think, is the answer to that question. That's just for speculation. Uh, okay, that is Starry Eyes. It was a movie you recommended, Happy 300th. Are you happy that this was our 300th one? Well, there's no will, so... To an extent, I can't fully say yes, but I think we did all right. He wasn't in the movie, you're right. How sad. Uh, I am recommending the next film. And I had this one picked up from the end of last year. I was like, oh, I'd love to do this. And then you picked this movie, and I was like, do I still want to do this movie? And then I was like, yes, I do. I still want to do this movie. Mm -hmm. We're doing another female-centric-led horror movie. Um... Uh, this one also, this one about witches, uh, <laughs> uh, but drastically different in execution. This is a movie I describe as Bartek. Just, just give it a chance. Just <laughs> give it a chance. Uh, it's called The Love Witch from, I do believe, 2016. I, I would have to double check, but The Love Witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a hyper-stylized movie. Um... It's got a plot, but you'll see. Um, (laughs) You'll see. And I'm curious to hear what you'll think about it. This movie has definitely got those October feelings to it. So, The Love Witch. Is it made by Mr. Reffin? No. This is made by (laughs) Anne Biller. Uh, I do believe it's Anne Biller. 
So it's a female, very, very female-centric movie. You know, most of the characters are women. The production, you know, women and all of that. So, so we'll see how it all all pans out. My secret plan also was if I had a repeat, like in this month, if I had the, the I get to suggest two, I was just going to make us watch the Neon Demon again, so we could have a revisit episode because we've never done that before. Uh, but- I've thought of, I've thought about doing that in the past, but it was for more sensible things. Like, oh, maybe we should give. Uh, uh- Fuck can't the, think of one. No, no, no. I know. I got the film in my mind, but the names escaped me. The one that we did with Alistair. Yeah. Yes. Like Mike. Like Mike. Yes. Well, mind sensible reasons too. But either way, that's it. Listening people, you can find us on their social medias or Facebook, Twitter, and that's it, right? We're on Facebook, or Twitter, and you can find us on Spit and Polished Presents. You can email us at spitandpolished at gmail dot com in which you can suggest things to us. It will be greatly appreciated. If you want to hit us up with a movie recommendation, you can do so. All of that's in the description of this episode. Rate and review us on whatever one of the podcast places you use and utilize. It would be loved. Uh, We would find it ever so spooky, scary. And uh, that's basically about it. Stay tuned for the rest of our spooky month in which we talk about spooky, scary movies. Bartek, how do you want to finish this one off? Uh, I want to finish off by crying because I think I have to pick another one for spooky month later on and I can't think of one so far. He's pulling his hair out over this one. Yeah. Oh, it looks like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if the episode on the 24th will be one of mine, and it looks like on the very last day of the month, actual Halloween, we'll be doing one of your ones. Neon so Demon, we, here we come. So we both have to pick a film. 